We get it. You're busy. You don't have time to waste on the mainstream media. That's why Salem News Channel is here. We have hosts worth watching, actually discussing the topics that matter. Andrew Wilkow, Dinesh D'Souza, Brandon Tatum, and more. Open debate and free speech you won't find anywhere else. We're not like the other guys. We're Salem News Channel. Watch anytime on any screen for free 24-7 at snc.tv. And on Local Now, Channel 525. With the power of Tandem HR, you are in the fast lane on Main Street with Get Down to Business with Shalom Klein, the show for business and jobs. Now, the champion of networking, the advocate of jobs, the guru of business, your host, Shalom Klein. We are all about small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at ShalomKlein.com. And while you are there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at Shalom Klein. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. It's a live show. That's right. You can call us at 312-642-5600, 312-642-5600. Get Down to Business is powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution center. You can give them a call at 630-928-0510, 630-928-0510, or visit their website at tandemhr.com. So we do indeed have a jam-packed lineup of guests as always, featuring profiling entrepreneurs making an impact in the business community. We've got many of them lined up for the show today. You will not want to miss it. But first up on the program is somebody that has been involved in uh, the creation of, of a climate uh, in trying to ensure that Chicago is ready for businesses to be successful uh, in the business community without the interference from the bureaucracy and the and the political uh, challenges and, frankly, the political corruption that has existed in the Chicago machine for so long. That's right. We have the former Chicago Legislative Inspector General Faisal Khan joining us on the air. Very uh, honored to uh, have you join us. I know you've been continuing your work, so we're excited to talk to you about it today. Uh, Faisal, thanks for joining us and Get Down to Business. Thank you so much for having me on, Shalom. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So let's talk about you first, and then uh, we'll talk a little bit about the work that you've done and the work that uh, that you are doing. You are not originally from Chicago, are you? No, sir. I'm actually from the East Coast. I uh, studied and lived and grew up on in New York. Wow. So what possibly could bring you uh, from New York to Chicago? We we hear about New York politicians, but they pale in comparison to what we have here in Chicago. What 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 brought you here? And that's so counterintuitive, right? So um, you would think that that would be backward, that New York, a city, you know, five times the size of Chicago would be the cesspool. But unfortunately, Chicago, being the third biggest metropolis in the country, has far bigger problems to deal with than New York does. And so, and it's a good question. You know, Chicago, I think, Salem is a beautiful city, and it's a wonderful place to live, and the people are fantastic. And I, I really made a good decision in moving here. Um, once I got involved doing the work that I do, though, kind of opened my eyes a little bit more as to what's going on in Chicago and the problems people and businesses face here. And, and so I'm doing my part to help kind of fix that around here. Absolutely. So, Faisal, you believe that, uh, at least in this one category, Chicago is not the second city? No. No, sir. It, it is. It, it's, it's the number one city in corruption. I mean, Chicago, unfortunately, is run 
compared to a third world country when it comes to its politics and its corruption. And that's the truth. No sugarcoating there. Well, we'll get back to talking about you in a moment, but uh, you were brought here uh, to uh, become the legislative inspector general. Uh, there's a lot written about about your work, but I uh, figured it's a good opportunity to talk to you about it uh, today. Uh, let's let's talk right from the beginning. Did you apply for the position, or were you recruited to come and uh, and legislate, or sorry, uh, rather? Uh, inspect and oversee the work of the uh, of the folks that you were hired by? You know, it's an interesting story, and I'll quickly tell it to you. I actually applied for the position, but everyone I spoke to before I applied said, this is Chicago, the fix is in. You're not getting this job. They've already promised this job to somebody else. And I said, okay, well, let me throw in my application anyway. And it turned out when I eventually got hired that that story was, in fact, true. They had promised a job to someone before they'd even posted it, but that individual, an insider from city government, had to take another job, and so council at the last minute had to scramble and say, what do we do now? We have this all set up. And somebody said, well, we did actually get all these resumes, so why don't we actually go through them? (laughs) So in typical Chicago style, the system was rigged, but by some fluke, I ended up getting the job anyway. So how long were you in the position? Four years. Four years. So let's start in the the nitty-gritty over here. What was the strangest thing? I guess nothing is really strange, but what was the thing that really blew your mind in in the worst way possible uh, during during that time in that office? Uh, I realized that that you did a a lot of work, and I want to talk about the the work that you did. I know you had a staff. I, I know some of your former staff, and I know how diligently they worked. But you uncovered some interesting things during during your time. What was the most corrupt or the strangest thing you've seen? Well, you know, I'll, I'll speak a little more generally because the, the way you phrased your question the first time, the first thought that came to mind that the, the strangest thing that I first learned when I got to Chicago or, or the most surreal thing was the abject uh, pushback for oversight and law enforcement here in Chicago. There's absolutely, at least when I started, zero interest in oversight and transparency uh, by our elected officials. They don't want anyone looking over their shoulders. So no matter what they tell you and no matter what they do, uh, on the the surface value, the reality is they simply don't want somebody looking at them. And and I could not believe that to be true. I mean, even in New York, where corruption has been well-known for a long time, our elected officials are held to an incredibly high standard. And if you even dare push back on any kind of oversight, you wouldn't have a job for very long. Being, in the, being an elected official in Chicago should be a privilege, not a right. And it seemed to me immediately when I started the job that these people took it as a, priv- as a right that they have this job. And in that right, they can do whatever they want. And that was probably the most mind-blowing part of the whole thing, that within my first couple of weeks alone, I was getting pushed back from all sorts of directions where I never thought I would get it from. And we all know it's called the Chicago machine, uh, and, and I realize that there is a system that's created. There is, a, there is a, as you say, the, the culture uh, that's created that, uh, that allows for some of this corruption to take place. But I'm curious to get down into the, into the root of the issue. Uh, New York has uh, city council members. Chicago has aldermen. Uh, in both scenarios, my understanding is that they, uh, the, the elected officials within municipal government have a huge amount of control. They have a huge amount of power, whether it's regarding zoning issues or, or appointments or all sorts of different things. 
But you don't see that same level of corruption in similar style governments around the country. Can you get down into the into the, to the root of the issue? Why is Chicago so corrupt? What is it that's in place that does not allow for clean, ethical government? Sure. Well, right off the bat, in New York, when I need an extension on my house I, or a building permit, I don't need to go to my alderman first. When I need a new garbage can or something else done, I don't need to go to my alderman. Um, when I need anything done, I go to city government and not to my elected official. And a number of complaints that we used to take all the time at the Legislative Inspector General's office was when I would go into an alderman's office and ask them for a permit for something, I, the first question I'd be asked is, when was the last time I contributed to my alderman? And, and that kind of questioning breeds corruption. Um, and, and that's basically, as, as many scholars have noted, that any time an elected official is involved in your, in your daily life uh, on an intricate basis like we ha- have here in these 50 wards in Chicago, um, it's a gateway drug. It's a gateway drug to go from political solicitations and donations to out-and-out bribes to out-and-out crime. And, and that's where the problems lie, Shalom. We, you shouldn't have to go to your alderman for some of the basic things that we're paying centralized taxes for. Yet the system here in Chicago has been set up in such a way that you can't avoid that. And so you can't start a business in your ward without getting your aldermanic approval first. You can't do basically anything in your ward without an alderman signing off on it, even though the law doesn't require that. That's the problem. And Let's start right there. Absolutely. And and we have about a minute remaining, and then we're going to take a a quick break and uh, continue the discussion about how this level of corruption is actually impacting what's something very near and dear to my heart, small business and and, uh, entrepreneurship within the city of Chicago. But I'm I'm curious, uh, I I guess, to, to ask this question. Do you believe that politics has a place in government? I believe that certainly our job, our elected officials are, have a job to do, and that job, at least in Chicago, is to legislate, is to come up with rules as a community, as a society that we can all follow and do what's best for taxpayers and for constituents of the city. We're far away from that. We're very far. We've gotten very far away from that in Chicago, and if we can get our apathy level raised back up to outrage, we might be able to finally get back to that place. But right now, we're so far away from it, we've lost complete control. So in essence, uh, what I'm hearing you say, Faisal, uh, again, we're talking with Faisal Khan, the former legislative inspector general of the city of Chicago. Faisal, essentially what I'm hearing you say is that we have 50 mini mayors throughout the city of Chicago, and pretty much it's pay to play uh, that uh, that folks that, that give the most get the most attention, and they're the ones that are able to get things done. Um, we'll continue yeah. the discussion with, uh, with Faisal Khan, again, the former legislative inspector general of the city of Chicago. After this very quick break, we will be talking about a recent study that was done um, through Project 6, Government Accountability Task Force. And uh, Faisal, of course, I want to learn more about Project 6. We'll talk about how uh, the political donations from various industries are actually influencing regulations. That's something that should be concerning each and every one of us in the small business community. We'll be right back. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. You can download our podcast online, shalomkline.com. We'll be right back. Back on Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are joined by Faisal Khan, the former legislative inspector general of the city of Chicago. And I say former because, uh, Faisal, you've been out of the uh, the job for a little while, no doubt. the uh, All that oversight you were doing 
uh, was not looked upon very positively by the folks that you were hired to uh, oversee. And uh, and now uh, you are out of the office and you've launched a new initiative. You are part of a new initiative. Tell us a little bit about Project 6 and the work that you're doing. Thanks. Um, so Project 6 is an organization. We're a nonprofit. And we're doing very similar work that we were doing before Shalom. We're investigating government uh, corruption and we're doing it uh, based on complaints that come into our office from taxpayers and, and, and constituents, and we're investigating as much as we can and reporting it out to the public um, uh, on a consistent basis so they exactly know what's going on with their elected officials. I think in Chicago there's a significant void here, as well as a lack of trust in our government uh, to make sure that the right things are being done. And I think Project 6 has been able to fill that void. We've already done a number of investigations, including looking at campaign finance, looking at uh, lobbyists working in government. We covered extensively the Cubs tickets that the aldermen were getting for free. So we've gone over a number of different things, and we continue to do that at this point. Um, We can be found at thesecret6.com and also on Facebook as well as through other social media. So now you're getting uh, far less pushback than you were getting when you were in the official office. Uh, No doubt uh, easier funding, um, because I know that there are people, uh, folks like our listeners in the business community, that care and certainly should care about all these issues that are plaguing plaguing our government. And I'm curious about Project 6. Are you uh, specifically focused on uh, city of Chicago, or are you looking into uh, government uh, beyond other municipal government and the state of Illinois as well? We are. We're looking at the entire state of Illinois, Shalom, so we're not limited just to Chicago. We want to clean up the problems wherever they are and bring them to light and to the forefront so our voters and our residents of the city and state know exactly what's going on. You know, everyone deserves an honest government. I'm a taxpayer here, too. You're a taxpayer. Your listeners are taxpayers. We deserve to have an honest government, a transparent government, and we want to know how our money is being spent, used, or abused. And and that's what we're trying to do, bring all of this information to light. And I think you mentioned small business, Shalom, and I know how important that is to you. Um, Recently, we did two different studies about, uh, first was the Uber issue, when uh, Uber was a hot topic as to whether it was staying or going in Chicago. And we just did another study involving Airbnb. Uh, since that's become a hot topic here again. And we wanted to show our, our uh, readers and our, and our listeners exactly how much money is going to our elected officials and, and who they're fighting for when it comes to this particular issue. Well, let's because talk we about the most recent. Fair chance. Let's, yeah, l- let's talk about that most recent research. Uh, the title is How $85,000 in Political Donations from the Hotel Lobby Could Be Influencing Airbnb regulations. And that that's, again, something that should concern everybody. Obviously, this is specifically a city of Chicago uh, municipal issue, but I know that other uh, other forms of government are also taking on Airbnb uh, issues. And I encourage our listeners to follow, uh, follow, follow the donations, follow the money, because I think that tells a lot of stories. So let's talk specifically about the research that, uh, that has been done by you and your colleagues. And I do want to talk about your colleagues as well, um, because I know that they are, uh, that, that now you have a, a team in place without the pushback. So $85,000, where's the money coming from? And, and how is, how is that money influencing the, uh, the ordinances and the regulations? 
Well, that's a great question. The $85,000 is primarily coming from the hotel industry, and it's going into the pockets of a number of aldermen. Uh, I think towards the top of the list is Michelle Smith of the 42nd Ward, who took in um, over $8,000. And so this is important for your listeners to know because they need to know exactly why Michelle Smith is taking such an ardent position against Airbnb. And does that $8,500 coming from uh, the hotel lobbyists have anything to do with that? Um, businesses in Chicago should have a fair chance, whether it's, you know, businesses run by the average homeowner or, or a mom-and-pop operation, and it should be about, you know, survival of the fittest and not survival of the fittest with the deepest pockets. Um, we don't want businesses run out of Chicago because they simply can't contribute enough to their aldermen, and their aldermen will then go fight for for them at this point. So that's what this study showed, exactly where the money was coming from and going where, because you all should have the right to know exactly why your alderman is taking a position that may be either support yours or contrary to your own position. And uh, Faisal, your, your your team is really doing the uh, the brunt of the work. That uh, actually on that website on thesecret6.com, uh, the full detailed uh, analysis of of which aldermen have taken money from the hotel industry, and that's a very general term, but the hotel industry and the dollars, uh, the specific dollar amounts, uh, going as far uh, a, 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 as high of an amount as twenty two five uh, twenty two thousand five hundred for. Uh, that went uh, to Alderman Brendan Riley in the 42nd Ward and, and as low as uh, $500 to uh, Alderman Joe Moore in the 49th Ward. Those uh, numbers are there, and I encourage our listeners, check to see about uh, about your local alderman and see if, if they're on the list. Uh, and it, it truly is fascinating, fascinating information. Faisal, one thing that I saw actually in the news just this past week, and I don't know if, you're, uh, if uh, Project 6 is looking into this, is uh, the CHA uh, came out, the Chicago Housing Authority came out uh, this past week with the long-awaited announcement of which developers will be taking the lead on the Cabrini Green uh, redevelopment. And uh, it was I got a whole bunch of email alerts and a ton of emails from listeners and friends in the business community. And it's interesting. It was not a very transparent process. And when you actually look at the dollars, you could see very clearly that the dollars from that developer uh, were pouring in to the various aldermen. So curious if you're looking into into that as well as uh, as well as similar situations like that of other contracts that are actually being given by city government as well. And it goes to exactly what we've been talking about, Shalom, is that who who has the deepest pockets and is that how you're getting business done here in Chicago? And that's just not fair to every other business that wants to t- be a part of this. And so I would encourage your listeners to go to our website um, to file information with us. They can leave a tip, anonymous or not, on our website, contact us through Facebook, and provide us with as much information as we can. We're willing to look at anything, and we want to look at everything, because we just don't think that there is enough information out there for all of us to know exactly what's going on with our elected officials. And development is a significant issue here in Chicago, and there's a lot of backdoor deals that are made that we simply don't know about and deals that we probably wouldn't agree with if, in fact, they came to light. So I would urge your listeners to please come to our website, give us the information we need, and Shalom, if there's anything you can tell us, please make sure we can talk again, and and we will certainly take a look at anything that people provide us. Absolutely. So, uh, Faisal Khan, you're now the CEO and president of Project 6. You've uh, got a team in place. Tell us a little bit about the the team, uh, briefly, that's, uh, that's working behind the scenes on on investigating the corruption and uh, 
and sort of what are the next steps over the coming year? How else, aside for uh, contributing the, the the tips and the information, how can we promote uh, the the very important work of transparency that uh, Project Six is dedicated to? Yeah, so let me break that down. So our team is an incredibly talented and uh, hardworking group. They came over with me from the Office of the Legislative Inspector General. They come from different walks of life and are, just care about our mandate, and they care about living in Chicago and living in a safe and happy place and, and with a government that isn't trying to cheat them in any way. So they care about the mission very much and are working hard to get this information out to you. We are dependent, Shalom, on basically private donors. So we uh, take small amounts of money from wherever we can. And so I urge your listeners, to, if they, if they like what we've been talking about, to check out our website again. There's a lot of information on there. And hopefully they can support us in our mission moving forward. And what I think you'll see in the future from us is a consistency. You're going to see stories like this, the Airbnb, the Uber stories, investigations about developers, investigations about campaign finance, and information that they will, uh, your people will be able to see right away and in real time so they can make good decisions when it comes to reelecting these folks. I think our overall mandate here in Chicago is to change the attitude of Chicago and from apathy to outrage again. And I think if we can get there, if we can get people to care again about what's going on here in Chicago and how it affects them personally when they're losing money out of their pocket because of corruption and because of all these other problems, I think we will get there. And once we do, I think we can fundamentally change Chicago to a city to where it should be as to where it is now. I share that hope with you, Faisal Khan, the former Legislative Inspector General of the City of Chicago and currently the President and CEO of Project 6, the Government Accountability Task Force, and I love the term at the bottom of your website, Corruption Stoppers, and that includes the information for how our listeners can send in anonymous or uh, or open uh, tips to the team at uh, Project 6. Faisal, thank you so much for joining us. Fantastic discussion. We'll be sure to have you back on and uh, continue sharing the uh, the important work that you're doing over there at Project 6. Thank you for joining us. Sure. Thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Have Absolutely. Well, coming up after this quick break, we will be talking some more about business, some more tips about entrepreneurship. You don't want to miss it. You're listening to the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We are powered by our good friends at Tandem HR, your solution. Hey, welcome welcome back Chicago. You're listening to Get Down to Business, the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And here on Get Down to Business, we know a thing or two about human capital management. But there is one person that knows, uh, I guess, a little bit more than some of our listeners. And that is Donna Paul, the Managing Director of Human Capital Management at BDO. Uh, Donna, you've uh, written quite a bit and you've advised many, many clients on the human capital management life uh, life cycle. And we're thrilled to have you here on Get Down to Business. Thanks for joining us this evening. Well, thank you, Shalom. I'm happy to be here. Absolutely. So uh, we know that when you're starting a business, there uh, it doesn't sort of end after you file the articles of incorporation and you open a bank account. Suddenly, uh, everybody uh, hopes to get to that point that they're able to be an employer, that they're able to bring people on to their team. And together with that comes a lot of challenges. So, Donna, I'm, I'm curious to talk to you uh so our listeners can hear a little bit about some of those challenges that uh, that companies are facing with and maybe, maybe share a few tips on how they can do it better. So let's start right in the beginning, recruitment. Donna, you talked to a lot of business owners uh, that are asking you for advice. What, what tips do you have on the recruitment side and what are the areas that you're advising your clients on? 
Well, I think the most important thing is to know who you are as an organization. What is our culture? What do we stand for? What do we believe in? What are our philosophies? And then you want to staff your organizations with people that fit that culture. You know, what, why do our clients hire us? instead of the competition. What is our competitive advantage? What are the types of people that they like to work with? So those are the people that we want to hire. And Donna, what? you know, it's interesting. A lot of a lot of people think that the first step of recruitment is looking at the resumes. But I think, uh, again, Donna Paul, the Managing Director of Human Capital Management at BDO, sharing an interesting point that the first step actually begins right at home in figuring out who are you as a company. Exactly. And, uh, you know, when I consult with companies, a lot of times when I ask leaders, tell me about what your philosophy is in terms of who you are as an organization, because that's going to drive everything. That's going to drive the type of people you bring in, the type of policies you have. Sure, you want to, you want to maintain um, legal compliance, but it's, it's with a view towards making sure that you're complying with your own personality, if you will. Um, what is our culture? What type of people do we want to attract? How do we how do we get them to want to come to work for us? And how do we get them to want to stay with us? Absolutely fascinating. But, and then I know that the next step is hopefully you find the right people and uh, obviously want to develop your people. You want to train your staff to make sure that they are meeting the demands of the job. So let's talk a little bit about that area. What what advice do you have for our listeners? Well, the very first thing is, and, and I know that some of, some of the people you've interviewed in the past have talked about this, making sure that you know when you're doing a job description, what are you looking for? What is, what is it actually you want these people to be able to do? How do, you, how do you determine if people can do that? You want to hire self-motivated people, and then you want to keep them motivated. So it's really about making sure you bring them in, and, and how do we onboard them? How do we get them as productive as possible as quickly as possible? And so it's really all about your onboarding program. What, what, what's important to train them in? How do you cross-train people? How do you get them to understand how your organization is structured, who your clients are, what your clients value, what, how to align what they're doing with the, with the organization's mission, values, and strategies, and then making sure that everything you do, the life cycle of the employee from the time they walk in the door, and that includes things like training and development. How do we get them engaged in their work? How do we lead them? I mean, employees really want three things. They want good bosses, they want career paths, and they want recognition. And, you know, start out with good bosses. You know, how many, you know, you've heard of many times people join companies, they quit bosses. <laughs> you can work for the best company in the world. You can have great compensation, great benefits, a great physical working environment. But if you don't have a good relationship with your boss, that's really going to define how engaged you are and how happy you are with your job. And that goes, uh, Donna, for both obviously new hires, but every company uh, should be looking to uh, develop, and develop is the is the buzzword, but develop people into uh, into promotions and, and management roles. And, and uh, there is a process. And I know that, that your team uh, focuses quite a bit on the training and the development, then the performance management, and then finally the, the various areas of career management and rewards and recognition. And that's something, the, 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 the process that, uh, that the BDO human capital management team calls the human capital management life cycle, uh, which right. is really important. So, Donna, tell us, uh, tell us a little bit about the companies. We've got about a minute remaining. Tell us a little bit about the companies that you're primarily working with. I focus mostly on small to mid-sized companies who really aren't at that point where they have a, a robust 
HR department. They really want that level of senior level executive HR support, but they're not at a level where they got to have an, you know, 360-day-a-year person at that level. But when they need that uh, level of expertise, they can call upon us to do that. Absolutely fascinating. So that's what we do. We go in and we help them with HR strategy. We talk to them as business people, not as cops. Many times uh, what, what happens with HR and the reason why HR gets itself into trouble sometimes is because they're very quick to say, no, you can't do that, without taking a step back and saying, okay, let's figure out what it is you're trying to do and help you get there. Well, that's why they need you, Donna Paul, the Managing Director (laughs) of Human Capital Management at BDO. Uh, Donna, we've got so much more to talk to you about. I'd love to have you back on the program, Um, but we are indeed out of time. Uh, I know uh, folks can get a hold of you by uh, email, dpaul at bdo.com uh, and I'm sure they could learn uh, quite a bit more about the uh, about the services of the human capital management team at BDO but thank you so much for joining us this evening on Get Down to Business. Well, thanks for having me, Shalom. Absolutely. Coming up after the break, more tips and advice. One of the things that I love most about uh, this show every week is I get to profile people making an impact in the community, uh, people with a fascinating story of starting a business, entrepreneurs like Adam Grossman. Uh, Adam is a Northwestern and NYU graduate, and you are the CEO of Block 6 Analytics, a unique sports, entertainment, and media sponsorships analytics company. Adam, welcome to Get Down to Business. Hey, how are you? Fantastic. It's great to have you over here. So let's talk a little bit about how you are working closely with brands, leagues, teams, athletes, properties, and agencies, and providing them with the critical uh, data and, and information to uh, to allow decision makers to, I guess, uh, make the best decisions. Uh, tell us a little bit about your work and what you do. Yeah, it's, it's a, you just gave a really great summary, but we're a sports sponsorship technology and analytics company. Basically, we've created a web-based platform where if you're a buyer or seller of sponsorship, you can get in very close to real time the value of that sponsorship. So if you're selling a sponsorship, you're able to communicate that value to a sponsor or corporate partner uh, in ways that use the best technology and use the best possible uh, modeling techniques. If you're a buyer of sports uh, sponsorship or entertainment sponsorship, you can see which uh, which sponsorships are working most effectively for your brand in terms of what's generating uh, revenue and how is the sponsorship helping to meet your goals. The idea is that if everybody's speaking the same language and understands what's going on, then everybody can make more money. Uh, fascinating. So, Adam, you are a Northwestern alum, and now you're a professor in the Sports Administration <laughs> Master's Program at Northwestern. That yeah. must be a real uh, a real hoot of an experience. But, Adam, what led you into this Clearly, you love you love sports, but uh, now you actually uh, and I could tell you love your job. What led you into this uh, into this path of of launching Block Six Analytics? Yeah, I mean, I think it was the idea of exactly what you just said. Is I had always had a passion for sports. I actually played soccer at Northwestern, but I didn't know that much about the business side of sports until I went to business school, and then I interned for the Washington Capitals, which is the National Hockey League team based in Washington D.C. And it was, you know, from what I was learning in business school and what my passions were, I could, I realized there was an opportunity to combine both into a business. And I realized while I was in business school that entrepreneurship was a path that I'd be interested in and being able to be your own business, to shape your own products, to make your own decisions that have an impact. 
Uh, and to be able to work in the industry that you love is a unique opportunity. And, you know, I, I've been fortunate to take advantage of that opportunity, but also, um, you know, it's been a lot of hard work as everybody starts a business or everybody who's probably on your show will attest to. But, you know, it's really identifying an opportunity, taking advantage, taking a risk, uh, on putting my skill set and leveraging my connections and my contacts in order to be successful, and then really spending a lot of time and energy and effort executing on the strategic vision that, we, that I have. And my company is definitely not perfect, uh, and nor is my story the only story or the best story for being an entrepreneur. But, you know, I think it's, there's some key themes that if people are thinking about entrepreneurship or thinking about a career in sports, um, there are some key themes that can resonate with both of those types of people. Block 6 Analytics, fascinating story. So uh, you are a Chicago-based business? Yes, we have our headquarters in Chicago, and we also have an office in New York. I'm actually in New York right now looking at the uh, Empire State Building. Oh, fascinating. Uh, Very, very cool. So, Adam, uh, speaking on the business side, and I've got some more questions for you on that in a moment, but speaking on the business side, is there anything that you know now that you wish you knew when you got started in business that perhaps you could share uh, as a tip for some of our uh, young entrepreneurs uh, that might be listening this evening? Yeah, I think the biggest thing that I've learned is the importance of communication. You know, we're from the name, you can see Blockstick Analytics, which would seem to be numbers-oriented, technology-oriented. But if you can't communicate about the idea in ways that resonate with your customers, with um, your employees, with uh, anybody who is interested, and in particular with investors, then it's going to be really hard for you to uh, articulate, you know, why they should buy the product, why somebody should invest in you, why somebody should work for you. And being able to clearly communicate, even if it's something where there's a new technology or a new way of looking at an industry where, you know, the competitive point of differentiation is the fact that you are thinking differently about a product or a service offering. You can't have a communication strategy that resonates with all the different audience types and clearly articulate your, uh, what you're trying to accomplish and how what you're trying to accomplish makes things better, uh, I think is something that's important. In particular, when you're first getting off the ground, there's an inherent risk that somebody gets by potentially working with a new company, right? There's an old saying, and this is very much out of date, but nobody gets fired for going with IBM. You know, nobody gets fired for going with the industry standard. So if somebody's going to take a risk, they have to be able to clearly communicate why they're taking that risk. And you have to be able to clearly communicate not that this is a cool product or an interesting insight, but how does this specifically benefit the person who is taking the risk? How is this going to make them look good in their job? How is this going to make them be able to do their job better? Uh, and that's something that, you you know, rather than focusing on the innovation or the coolness or showing them people potentially what they should be doing, showing people how they benefit from being involved and having a relationship with you in some form is absolutely critical. And I don't think I understood that as, uh, as clearly then as I do now. Very interesting. Adam Grossman, the founder of Block 6 Analytics, and you've certainly uh, learned uh, quite a bit, and you are now running a successful business operation and proving the point that uh, there's there's a lot of business behind sports, and, and you're certainly doing some fantastic work. Uh, Adam, uh, how can our listeners find out more about the services that you provide and learn more, uh, perhaps, to get in touch with you? Absolutely. So you can go to our website, block6analytics.com. That's block, uh, S-I-X, analytics.com. Uh, we're also at Twitter at block, the number six, analytics. You can check us out on Facebook at block six analytics. And if you want to email, uh, if you want to email me, me specifically, it's adam.grossman at block6analytics.com. 
And if you're interested in learning more about the company more generally, uh, info at Block6Analytics.com. Fantastic, Adam Grossman of Block6 Analytics. We'll be sure to follow your story and check back in with you here and Get Down to Business. But speaking about focus, and that was a great tip um, from Adam, uh, we will be talking about focused telephone calls uh, as your business tip of the week. That's coming up right after this quick break here on Get Down to Business. We'll be right back. Now it's time for your business tip of the week, which can be heard daily on the morning show at 7.30 a.m. right here on AM560. The answer is promised. We're talking about focused calls, and it's as easy as one, two, three, four. That's right. Losing control of a phone conversation is a challenge that often comes up as I speak to groups. And it's something that, yes, I am guilty of as well. As a conversation expands One or both parties bounce from topic to topic and the call ends without essential information being shared or the most crucial questions being asked. And one way that I would recommend to prevent this from happening is to write out literally in bullet point form what you want to achieve on a call. And you want to keep that list in front of you as you speak and you want to refer to it frequently to keep yourself on track. Another way is to use numbers to create a karaoke type bouncing ball. That helps everyone stay focused. No, I have not lost my mind. Well, maybe just a little bit. But uh, my advice about actually keeping track of those numbers, one, two, three, four, really will help make sure your telephone conversations this week will be as productive as possible. And frankly, a little bit of time. You might actually be able to have more brief calls and actually uh, accomplish more on those conversations. So you must be asking, how are numbers actually going to help me have more focused phone conversations? Using numbers gives our phone calls an agenda, which we share with the other person so they could follow along. For example, I might call a client and say, I have four questions for you regarding our upcoming uh, project. And the client then focuses on that number four. They give the, that gives the call more of their attention because it has a structure and an implied time limit. The distraction of how long will this call take is eliminated because we're counting to four, and that's unlikely to take very long. And again, I'll admit, I do this both in other conversations, but I'm constantly calculating in my mind as I jump on the phone with somebody, whether it's a quick uh, scheduled phone call or a uh, telephone conference with multiple people, I think about what is the agenda that we want to cover, and I'm thinking, how long will this take? The client will then focus on that number, that four, and they will think about that time limit. The numbers are then used during the call to move from item to item, sort of like a bouncing ball. And that the first question is, and when we reach, and then the fourth question is, and then both parties are prepared to end the call. There's much less chance of the conversation wandering away into unessential information. Over time, I've discovered that three or four questions on a call usually works best. One or two questions implies that the call is going to be very, very quick. So it doesn't always capture somebody's full and undivided attention. If you have more than four questions, the impression created is one that it's a very long phone call and one that requires specific scheduling, which which sometimes can result in delays or procrastination. So again, my tip, my advice is we all know how to count to four, at least I do, and uh, four is the magic number. When you schedule a call with a client, uh, make sure you are announcing it in the beginning of the call. I've got four things I'd like to discuss, and it sort of is like a table of contents, and everybody will be focused on what are those four things they want to cover, and sure, it will be it still be a discussion, meaning it doesn't become a uh, a written out, a, a dictated speech, but allow you to stay focused and it will allow your business calls this week to be more productive. Hope you found our business tip here on Get Down to Business to be helpful. We are always looking for 
uh, your advice, your tips, your information that you'd like to share with other business owners, you can get on my website, shalomkline.com, where you can contact me. You can also download podcasts from our conversation today with former Legislative Inspector General of the City of Chicago, Faisal Khan, Donna Paul, the Managing Director of Human Capital Management at BDO, and Adam Grossman of Prod, uh, of Block 6 Analytics. All of their interviews are up on our website, shalomkline.com, and you can get a sneak peek of who will be on next week on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. That's right. We're on every Sunday at 6 p.m. Check out our website. And speaking of websites, check out the website for our good friends at our solution center, Tandem HR. You could check them out online, tandemhr.com. Their blog is a wealth of information that will help you in the week ahead on HR management, on Obamacare and what remains of it. You don't want to miss it. Check out their fantastic blog of resources and information, tandemhr.com, or give them a call, 630-928-0510. Tell them you heard about, uh, about their services on Get Down to Business. But until next week, let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday at 6 p.m. Check out our website, shalomkline.com. We'll talk to you next Sunday, 6 p.m., and get down to business.